So my Kreutzer, welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast with me, Alan Rhys Chivers. This week's episode features an interview with Robin Varley, author of All That Could Be Desired, The History of Cricket in Aberystwyth, 1830-1997. This will be followed by a new feature called Curator's Corner, in which Dr Andrew Hignell, author of numerous books on Glamorgan and cricket in Wales, picks up on the themes in Robin's books and guides us through the origins of cricket across Wales. Stephen Hedges began by asking Robin about the early days of cricket in Aberystwyth. At the beginning of the book, you, there's a list of all the officers of the of uh, the various clubs that are involved in the Aberystwyth area. There's a name that's repeated quite often in those uh, early 50 or 60 years, from 1830 to 1890. And I hope I've got my pronunciation right. The Prees family. The Prees is Gorgedon. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them and their importance to the initial development of cricket in Aberystwyth? Um, well, yes, they, they were... A landed uh, family. They they were the major landowners in the area. Um, their seat was about two three miles outside the town at Plaskogerden. They they had their own cricket field. It was basically the first cricket field in Aber- in the Aberystwyth area. Life was quite different in those days. The priests were benevolent leading in society the usual sort of thing at that time major employers of course a couple at least a couple of them were mps that was in the days when they didn't actually get in didn't there wasn't much of a an effort to get votes i think they just inherited seats really didn't they okay i've got another name for you which crops up in those early years wr stretton what does he yeah. tell us about so the nature of cricket in the in the period well that, that really similar in a way to the priests, um, you've got to go back really to the, the most eccentric prince regent we ever had. Um, it became George the Fourth, and he made popular the idea of going to the seaside. He built this, this splendid palace in Brighton, and this became the thing for people to do, people with money, positions in society, in inverted commas, to go to the to, to, to go to the coast perhaps for the for the full season uh, for the summer and quite a lot of people did that in the Aberystwyth area from the 1830s onwards uh, and I guess W R Stretton was one of them he was apparently a pretty good cricketer himself his his uh, pile was near near Crickell. I guess that he must have taken a, a building over, a, an apartment or something in the summer. It was an honour to be made president of the cricket club. I don't think, I don't know how much they did, but he must have played quite a bit because that's what they did. The president presided and he probably was on the top table when they had their uh, their dinners and entertainment. The cricket Sorry. at that time was very much associated with a sort of... Um, social occasions so there were lots of talks of uh, not just cricket teas but cricket lunches and and indeed cricket breakfasts I think. Yes absolutely Uh, and cricket was just one part of the social scene to keep these people uh, occupied and interested. A a lot of towns like Aberystwyth built what they call uh, assembly rooms where they would have concerts and just place for the 
for the uh, the rich and famous to meet. They, they, they were they would often have a band at the cricket matches and archery contests, quoits, all sorts of things um, for all these people who had pots of money and plenty of time to waste. And the second half of the 19th century, there are very clear changes in the UK, if you like, as far as the development of cricket are concerned. And my next sort of two names to throw at you were um, Ernest Trubshaw and Maurice Davis. Did they represent that ch wider change in the nature of cricket and what's happening in wider society? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Maurice Davis was a really interesting chap. He was obviously a, a good games player. He'd attended rugby school. He was one of the first people to play rugby. He also played cricket, and he's, he's, he's one of only two or three people who scored a century um, in, the, in the 19th century uh, in the Aberystwyth area. He was still a, a sort of patrician, uh, really. He, he qualified as a lawyer. His father was a lawyer, but he never practiced. He was, he was called to the bar, but never practiced. He never had a job. He lived, um, he lived in a building south of the town, if that's how it's pronounced, which is now the Conner Hotel. Uh, and uh, he lived there and he did good things. He was on the board of guardians that looked after the poor, you know, the workhouse and so on. He, he was a county councillor when the county council was set up. But he was very, very much part of the, of the local society. Now, Trubshaw was a different character altogether again he came from a not a privileged background but from a, a family that had already achieved great things his father was the county surveyor of staffordshire and i think when he passed away trubshaw uh, came to Aberystwyth with his mother and his sister uh, his mother ran a, a school for the daughters of gentlefolk and ernest took a job with the newly arrived railway now that really was the the main change to Aberystwyth and to a lot of places in the 1860s. The railway reached Aberystwyth in 1864. Trubshaw was working at the railway station, presumably uh, in the office. He was a young man then, but Trubshaw himself went on to great things. He, he um, he eventually left Aberystwyth and went off up to Barrow-in-Furness uh, and was working in the steel industry there. And he had the good sense to marry the boss's daughter and eventually made his way back to Llanetli, which is, he was pretty well running the tin plate industry in, uh, in, in that area. Found a member of Ashburnham Golf Club uh, and so on, and he... He was a major figure and grandfather of Trubshaw, the test pilot, who used to pilot Concord. But yeah, I mean, he, he, he was a cricketer. He was an underarm bowler, apparently. All the way through that, that period, you, you, um, you mention the, the nature of cricket and a lot of the games that were played were sort of not necessarily from geographically based teams, but from within that kind of the social group that were involved in cricket. Now, I'm going to mention to you a team that I loved the name of, the Dissyllables. Can you tell us about yeah. them? Well, I, I guess it's really the Dissyllables. They used to play a lot of games within the club. Um, 
they would play games and the, the club would absorb members from the visitors. The visitors, remember, would be there perhaps for two or three months at a time. And they, they could join the cricket club and something for them to do. And they would, they would make up names. They'd have Welsh against English, North of the Rydal against South of the Rydal. Discernibles, it seems, was one of the more imaginative ways of doing it. One team was made up of people with surnames with only two syllables in it. The other team was made up of the rest, one syllable and more than two. <laughs> I played in a, a game uh, in one of my former clubs at Staley Bridge, over 30s against under 30s. And it turned out to be one of the nastiest games I ever played in. So <laughs> they, they determined never to do it again <laughs> after somebody tried to run somebody out. There were two definite recurring themes all the way through your history. One was the difficulty of maintaining an active club. And there were periods where there was no cricket being played in Aberystwyth. And then the, the other thing was finding a permanent home for the cricket club. Do you want to tell us a little bit about both those things? Most cricket clubs go through spells where there is not a very long queue uh, of people wanting to be uh, secretary or treasurer or chairman even. Um, and I, I guess that was the case very often. But the, uh, the second part, the, the original ground was played on a piece of land that lay between uh, the main road north, what's called Pengleice Road in Amberstwith, and the, the main road uh, to the east, which is Flambadden Road. And it's, they played there until the 1880s. That land was owned by the price, the priests, as was much of Amberstwith. Uh, and the incumbent at that time lost a lot of money on speculation in lead mining. And he was obliged to sell quite a lot of his land in Aberystwyth. The crying shame is that the cricketers didn't buy that cricket field off him. They had to come to some arrangement with the with the university college, uh, and they started to play on a field on or very near to where Aberystwyth Football Club plays now. There were various clubs that sort of carried the tradition of, of cricket through through into the 20th century and one of those was the Keredigian club I don't know if you could say a little bit about them but also the thing that struck me was that they are a part of holding a quite a significant record when they played against the, it was presumably University College Wales in 1893 do you remember that that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well they, yeah they, they, they were bowled out for seven weren't they and that caused a bit of a stir in the local press somebody had a pop at them the local press and writing a letter under a nom de plume was the equivalent of a, of a Twitter account these days. But the, the Kerry Diggin Club was formed about 1861, whereas the Albrecht Club had formed in the 1830s. I think the idea was that they would be two separate clubs, but got to the point where it was very difficult to tell the difference. Kerry Diggin came to be to all intents and purposes, the, the cricket club for Aberystwyth. Um, but it, it folded in 1908 because basically they had no ground. Um, the period after the Second World War, 
uh, struck me as quite interesting. When I looked at the list of some of the teams that were registered to play in the local district cricket association, the ones, the names that I've got here are British Rail, uh, Bronglice staff. Bronglice was the workhouse, I believe. The surveyors. Uh, well, well, Bronglice is the hospital. <laughs> okay. Um, Love Days, which was a plumbers and decorators. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Cambrian News, which I presume was the local uh, regional newspaper. That's right. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that, the emergence of the District Cricket Association after the Second World War? Yeah, well, the the evening league, a midweek league, was formed by a character called uh, Roy James, who's a te school teacher in Arduin Grammar School, geography teacher, and I was his next but one successor. <laughs> Actually, I have before me the actual trophy. Um, that landed on my doorstep one day. Uh, and, and the first winners in 1951 were the Aberystwyth Hospital. And the following year, the Forestry Commission won, won, the, won it. And then the Gas Board. So it's, uh, now that, that league became more and more significant, but floundered at the end of the 1967 season because basically nobody was willing to run it it started again in 1978 and it was started by a couple of students who who got it going and it's maintained so since 1978 it's it's been going for another 42 years glamorgan and its players did come to Cab uh, to aberystwyth uh, on several occasions um there was one glamorgan player who ended up living in aberystwyth you mentioned uh, yeah. those occasions. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The Morgan teams came to Aberystwyth before the war. Um, I know that Alan Watkins had a benefit game here um, soon after the war. I mean, of course, they 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 played a couple. Of, they played a John Player League game here in 1976. College King was playing for Glamorgan. Uh, Hussein was here and Gooch and so on. And Hayden Davis, the old. Glamorgan wicketkeeper, he, he was a student here. Allegedly, he played in a game where the opposition were bowled out for something like 10. And he decided to open the batting and hit two huge sixes to uh, finish the game in two deliveries. <laughs> he didn't occupy people for too long that day then. No, oh, no, no, no. But the, the player you, you're thinking of who came to live in Aberystwyth was Louis Deverell. He was a journeyman county cricketer. He could bat and bowl a bit. He came here middle 1960s, I would guess. And he came initially to run a pub called the Blue Bell. But then he, he went up in the world and took over the central hotel on the opposite side of the road. All the way through the book, Robin, you... You do some lovely profiles of, of cricketers that have played. And I've yeah. just got, I've got four names, which I'd like you to say a little bit more about. One of them you might have mentioned already, Roy James. I've got a photograph of him. He's in a, a joint college and Glamorgan photograph. And he's a bespectacled youth. Uh, that was 1939. Spent the war, much of the war in West Africa. Was badly injured in a, some sort of traffic accident. Uh, and I think he, he, he may well have lost one of his feet. I was never quite sure. But he, he played cricket 
in a fashion. Uh, he was able to ball off two or three paces. I never saw him play, but uh, you knew when Roy was about because he had a incredibly strong voice and he expressed his feelings quite volubly. <laughs> Wonderful after dinner speaker, apparently, um, and so many stories about him. I mean, the, my favourite one is when he was teaching in Arduin. They used to organise the summer exams so that teachers could mark at home. Roy organised his time so that he had two or three days off. The next thing is a card arrived at the um, at the school from Trent Bridge. He'd come to watch Glamorgan play Nottinghamshire at Trent Bridge. Unfortunately, the headmaster intercepted the card, and that was the end of that uh, <laughs> particular. <laughs> <laughs> Next name for you, Ken Edwards. Yeah, I, I, again, I met Ken. I, well, I played against him when I was a student. He, we, I played against the Cowdigian team a couple of times. And Ken was still playing then, left arm opening bowler. Uh, he was probably just a bit past his best when I played against him. He, he was a, a really significant player in the local teams during the 1950s. At the back of your book, you have um, the details of leading cricketers in, in, in Aberystwyth from 1974 to 1997. Top of the bowling averages is D.M. Francis. Yeah, well, Mike was a former uh, UCW history, I think Welsh history perhaps. Um, the, he, he worked in the Nat Lib, National Library, a keeper of maps and pictures. He was... A slow medium bowler. Probably it is most effective on uncovered pitches. Incredibly accurate, very clever. He was very proud of the fact that he'd take, comfortably taken more wickets than he'd scored runs. If Mike had been six foot one instead of five foot four or something, he, he would have been a very, very useful bowler. Final name for you, Johnny Davidson. Yeah, well, I knew John. Uh, he, he was one of my pupils in Penglice realised when he was a first former that he was already a decent bowler. But John made a lot of progress, uh, played for Dovidge Schools, did very well, uh, went to university, to Cambridge. He got some pretty impressive A-level results and he, he got a good degree there. But more important to me, he got a blue. And he's got about 30 first-class wickets, including Graham Gooch, Jeff Howarth, Imran Khan, you know, Alan Border. <laughs> he's, got some, he's got some good people out. Mike Atherton's Mike first season in Cambridge was John's last. And he's, he, he was quite uncomplimentary about uh, John's bowling. He described him as being uh, a slow dobber running off a, off a long winding run. And he, he, he was disappointed that he had Gooch caught at mid-off and he, Atherton was very keen to watch Gooch back. Anyway, Atherton did get that wrong. He was not a slow dabber uh, and he bowled, he bowled Gooch. He didn't have him caught. <laughs> so. Well, I'm glad we've uh, corrected that historical fault. Yeah, he got... We'll tell Mike yeah. Atherton one day. <laughs> he got 200 odd wickets for us. Um, and he, I mean, we, we never saw him again after left university 
final name I think that's most associated with Aberystwyth in your in your kind of cricketing history is Llanila. Well, yes, we, uh, that's where we the club was formed. The 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 current name is Aberystwyth. We changed the name in 1988 because we were kicked off the field in the end of the 1982 season. Um, you finished the book with the opening of the pavilion at, at that ground. Yeah. How satisfying was it for you, having been a player with the club for so long, to see a, a permanent home established for cricket in Aberystwyth? Well, it was, yeah, I mean, it was very emotional business, really, because two or three of us had worked very, very hard to get this going, raising the funds, finding a piece of land. At the time, it just uh, it was mind-boggling, really. For at last, we could confidently run children's teams. We could run social events. Uh, we were masters of our own destiny. You know, we weren't relying on, on the university. Or, it was very, very satisfying. Good days in those early days. I, I sometimes think that the, the current membership they don't they don't know any of that. You know, they, everything's just tech. They don't know. They don't realise how hard we had to work. Well, we've talked about Mike Francis, who was top of the bowling averages in that period that you you've uh, logged from 1974 to 1997. But I really do have to mention the person who was top of the batting averages during that period. <laughs> Now, I've made a note. You scored over 15,000 runs for the club in that time, notching up 20 hundreds and more than 150s with a top score of 168 not out and what I think is a phenomenal average for a club cricketer of 43.58. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your playing career, Robin? Uh, well, I... You might detect from my uh, accent that I'm not from these parts. Once my father started to take me to Old Trafford cricket when I was about from being about seven, uh, I was hooked. Uh, Cyril Washbrook was my uh, great favourite, and bowlers like Roy Tattersall, Brian Statham, Malcolm Hilton. Yeah, yeah. And didn't have a lot of coaching, but Dad played with me and we played in the street and played at school uh, always with a tennis ball and then went to secondary school and we had a school team I got in the school team and joined the club eventually and just went on from there really went to Staley Bridge Cricket Club there for another seven or eight seasons and then came to Aberystwyth so I was a reasonably established player by the time I came here uh, and the the cricket wasn't quite as intense here as it was uh, in the northwest of England, so I think I probably had some easier innings here than I would have done in uh, in Greater Manchester. And we we cannot let you go without getting you to talk about your claim to fame, which is printed on the back of the book. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, that's one of the mistakes. Uh, I actually had three balls from Gary Solbers and was out twice. <laughs> the first ball I ever received from him, he was bowling fast. And uh, I can just see the um, beautiful side-on action coming at me. And a blur hit me on the pad. My partner refused to run for the leg by. And the next ball uh, hit my off stump. One bail came off. And that was that. Uh, the next time... He was bowling spin and like a fool, 
I wafted at one outside off stick and uh, got caught behind. First first ball I received from him. <laughs> and where were those matches? Uh, they're both at Radcliffe, which is where he was professional. So that would have been 1961 or 62. We were bowled out quite cheaply in that cup match. He was bowling. He was really quick, crikey. I wish I'd been a bit older when I played against because I was only about 16 or 17 then. But it was a great privilege to play against pros like that. I mean, he was the best. But I'm guessing little there was little of what he did when he came as an overseas player to Nottinghamshire that, that took you by surprise? Well, that's right. I mean, he, he, everybody says the same. You know, he was just a wonderful player. He could do anything. And, he, you know, he was, he was quite a nice bloke. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't bowl bouncers at kids. Uh, Gary Sobers, if it was a poor pitch, he just bowl spent. But he was a, he'd get 130 wickets in the season and get a pile of runs as well. I'd never played against anybody who hit the ball as hard as he did. I was feeling at um, deep point at Radcliffe on that evening game. And our pro was a guy called Red Scarlet, another West Indian. And he bowled off spinners. And basically, he was bowling a bit short to Solvers, who was smacking him to deep point. And uh, I was down at deep point and praying that he wouldn't hit one straight to me. And there was a wall behind me. The boundary there was a wall, and the ball was hitting this wall and going back 20 yards back onto the field. <laughs> I was going back to field the ball 20 yards just to toss it back for the for yet another whiplash delivery down, shot down down to down towards me. Cranky. Yeah, I'll never forget that. <laughs> what a player! So that was Robin Varley talking about the development of cricket in the Aberystwyth area over the last 180 or so years. Uh, We're very lucky now to introduce a new voice to the podcast, uh, Dr. Andrew Hignall, uh, first 11 scorer for Glamorgan County Cricket Club and Heritage and Education Coordinator for the county. Uh, He's also the curator of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket. Um, He may well be coming back several times to this podcast in a feature that we're going to call Curator's Corner. And he's going to talk a little bit about the development of cricket in Wales and perhaps some of the contrasts in other areas with the way that the game develops there. Andrew. Hi, Steve. Um, It was fascinating there listening to uh, Robin's outline of the early days of cricket in Aberystwyth, uh, listening to him talk about the stimuli for the game in the 1850s and the 1860s. Well, actually, if we look Wales-wide, we have to go back even 100 years before then to see the first references to cricket. No one knows who invented the game. No one knows when it was first played. But we do know uh, that in 1760, there was a, uh, a letter written to a newspaper called The General Post by uh, a correspondent based in Swansea, who was complaining that on Sundays near his home, uh, he could hear youths uh, swearing and using profanities whilst playing cricket. 
uh, and he said they should be at home reading their Bibles uh, instead. So clearly by the Georgian period in Swansea, uh, cricket was being played. But what's interesting, of course, is, is that it was Swansea, the Copperopolis, the centre of uh, early industry in South Wales. The next reference uh, to the first ever match that we know taking place was in 1783, and it was in a much more rural location. So having had references in the early urban areas, we now then switch our focus to the rural areas. And the place in particular was near Court Henry Down, which is uh, near Cumgwilly in Carmarthenshire. And it was a game organised in August 1783 by a gentleman called John Phillips, who actually earlier in the year had been elected as the MP for Carmarthen Town. And it would appear from the letters that exist in Mr Phillips's uh, letter books and records that this was actually a gathering of young men, possibly young Conservatives, and it was a means of celebrating his success. And what's interesting is that Mr Phillips was actually educated at Westminster School in London. And so maybe it was people who had been educated and brought up in other parts of the UK who were taking to other areas like Wales their sort of uh, recreational behaviours. Well, by that time, the 1780s, we know that there was a formal cricket club in existence in Swansea. Again, there's a newspaper reference from 1785 calling all members of the Swansea Cricket Club to gather uh, on the beach. And I just wonder, Steve, whether in fact uh, uh, beach cricket, having started in Swansea, whether in fact there was cricket also on the beach in Aberystwyth. What was interesting listening to uh, Robin as well was the role that the railways played in bringing people and obviously uh, to have cricket and to have matches and fixtures or even just practices, you need, you, you need to have people congregating. And what's evident throughout Wales is that there was no one blueprint that was rolled out in every location. Clearly, the arrival of the railways and the growth of tourism in the uh, Victorian era in Aberystwyth were those two factors were really, really important. Uh, if we switch our focus, though, to the southeast of Wales, to the more industrialised areas of, let's say, Cardiff and Swansea, Newport, Merthyr, Ebu Vale, railways played a role there, but it wasn't uh, actually uh, taking, uh, taking people, it was actually taking the industrial products. And it was the fact that railway lines had been built in the valley communities, in the industrial communities, to allow iron ore, coal to be taken to the coastal ports. That was the stimulus for the growth of cricket and also fixtures in those areas. Um, if we go then to the Pembrokeshire area, southwest Wales, definitely tourism was a factor there. And cricket, in fact, in Pembrokeshire was thriving in the 1830s and the 1840s, certainly before a lot of the industrial growth in the southeast. But in the Tenby area in particular, there was another factor, and that was, in fact, the arrival of the military. Because, of course, in, in Pembrokeshire, there are the docks such as Pembroke, Haverford West, Milford Haven, and it was there where garrisons were set up with troops 
going across the Irish Sea because of the troubles in Ireland. So the presence of military personnel gave a boost to playing cricket. There were teams of Oxbridge students, and the newspaper references refer to the, uh, the young men from Oxford and Cambridge who were on their summer vacations. If we go to North Wales, again, the military play a role there, especially with the, uh, the ports on, on the Isle of Anglesey, Holyhead in particular, and the construction of the railway line across the North Wales coast certainly gave a boost to early cricket in the Victorian era in North Wales. There it was the presence actually of engineers. And in fact, in Bangor and in uh, Menai Bridge, there were teams uh, actually formed of the engineers building the, the Britannia Bridge and also some of the other railway lines in that area. Yes, then tourism also gave a, a boost to cricket a little bit later in the 19th century in North Wales. Tourists, though, in particular this time from Northwest England. So it was the arrival of uh, people from Manchester, from Liverpool, and again, clubs that had been formed in Lancashire and Cheshire, then deciding to go on tours in the 1880s, in the 1890s, along the North Wales coast, staying in nice uh, and convivial resort towns like Clandidno, uh, like, like Carnarvon, going to Beaumaris as well on, on Anglesey. Also in North Wales, what's really interesting is that the grammar schools played a role as well. So people were now being educated to play and also coached. And Ruffin Grammar School in North Wales, also Beaumaris Grammar School, had very, very strong teams, and they were actually going the other way. They were actually going into England. Both schools were actually playing similar schools in the Manchester and Liverpool area. Then if we move into Mid Wales, into uh, Montgomeryshire, into Breconshire, maybe parts also of Cardiganshire, uh, parts of the Vale of Glamorgan in, in the more rural areas, the stimulus to playing cricket in those areas was actually the market days. The pace of life was geared to the, the farming year. And so when the harvest festivals, when the harvests had been gathered and people were meeting up in, in market towns like Brecon, like Raglan, like Cowbridge, like Montgomery, when there were groups of people together celebrating the end of the agricultural year, they were celebrating by playing a variety of games. There'd been market fairs for hundreds of years before, but certainly by the 19th century, cricket was actually being played, or a variant of cricket, with people uh, hitting balls and playing, uh, in some cases, not matches, but actual single wicket games where one gentleman would take on another, or maybe it would be a six-a-side game. Robin, in his uh, conversation with us, talked about a significant family, the Price family in Aberystwyth. Are we talking about very key individuals and key families across all areas as well who were initially part of instigating this new game? And also, when was cricket being played? Was it played at certain times of the year? just in the summer or beyond the summer? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the second question first. In the more rural areas, what's really interesting, cricket there was a celebration in many cases at the end of the, the rural year. So in fact, in Pembrokeshire and also in Mid Wales, uh, the season didn't really get underway 
until the end of July and August. Um, I, I know from Robin's research that the same in some cases would happen in Aberystwyth. Uh, the, uh, the arrival of the students on their summer vacations in July and August, and in parts of Pembrokeshire, and parts of Mid Wales as well. Games going on in September, games going on in, in, into middle of October as well. And uh, there are some reports in, in North Wales as well of uh, games taking place in the early Victorian era uh, during the winter on frozen lakes. So cricket being played on ice. To go back to your first question, Steve, the, uh, the influence of families, absolutely. Um, especially the landed families. And the uh, the people who had the uh, the money, the uh, the inclination uh, to actually encourage and to stimulate uh, cricket being played. When I say the money, I'm thinking in particular uh, in the Cowbridge area. There was a man called Harry Ebsworth, who was a very very rich uh, businessman. He encouraged cricket professionals, well-known cricket professionals from England, to actually to come in and to to prepare a proper wicket and to do a little bit of rudimentary uh, 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 coaching as well and making sure that people knew what to do. In other parts, as I say, in, in, every, area of, uh, in every area of Wales, there would be a strong family, uh, a landowning family, or even a, a mining family, an industrial family, who would actually act as the, the catalyst. By the late Victorian era as well, these families would actually uh, have games on their country houses and the Williams family of Calais near Swansea would be one of the, one of the most famous. They had a, a team called the Public School Nondescripts and it was basically the sons of uh, Mr. Williams of uh, Calais and uh, their friends who were also at uh, public school in England just meeting up and uh, having, a, having a jolly good time. And some of the players involved with the public school nondescripts actually did go on to play uh, early county cricket for both Glamorgan and also Carmarthenshire. Many thanks to Robin and to Andrew. Robin's book is available now on Amazon. Join us next week when we'll be heading to Sangam Cricket Club in Pembrokeshire to hear more about the origins of the club ahead of their 70th anniversary celebrations. We'll be back.